0: If you have your Bible with you, uh, open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17 this week. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, Paul has been showing us God's big plan for the world. This plan that centers on Jesus' work and that continues to unfold through Christ's body, the church. Then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul teaches us how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He shows us what it looks like to walk in love uh, in the church, in our families, in the workplace, and in our individual lives. And now as we draw to the end of Ephesians, Paul returns to the big picture. Walking in love involves you in a spiritual war, a battle with cosmic significance, And here in Ephesians 6, 4 through 17 that we're about to read, Paul presents us with a picture of the gospel. The description of the armor of God that we're about to read is well known, and it might surprise you to think of it as a picture of the gospel, but it is indeed a picture of the good news. For each piece of armor is identified with a divine virtue or gift that is given to us. In fact, Paul's description of the godly armor alludes back to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, God sees that justice is turned back, righteousness stands far away, truth is lacking, there is no justice. So what does God do in Isaiah 59? He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and a redeemer will come to Zion Earlier in Isaiah 11, we hear that this Redeemer, God's Messiah who is promised, will wear similar armor. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins." In Isaiah, God and his messenger are armed with righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation, a belt of faithfulness, and they come to set things right. Now, in, in, in Ephesians 6, 4 through 17, Paul says that God is giving us his armor, that he's putting his armor on us, his armor of truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit. And so it's a picture of the gospel, that what God has, he graciously gives to us. Listen again to this picture. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Indeed, this is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Paul begins this passage by repeating this command that we heard last week Stand. Therefore, since we face a real war, since we have a fierce, deadly, wicked enemy, must stand firm, we must hold our ground. Don't fear, stand firm, dressed by God in God's own armor. Stand not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord's might. This morning, we're going to look at the first five pieces of this godly armor. And then next week, we'll look at the sword of the spirit and prayer. First, tighten your truth belt. Tighten your truth belt. In a Roman soldier's gear, the belt was the first thing he would put on. It was worn under his armor. It held his tunic in place so that he could move freely in battle and not be tripped up. And like the Roman soldier, truth is the first thing that we must put on. Nothing else matters without this. From the outside, we might appear to be very righteous or to have great faith. But if it's not founded on truth, if it's only an appearance, it's worthless. Mere appearances don't protect us in spiritual combat. So we must tighten our truth belt We must be so immersed in God's truth that it's like a belt around our waists. These are the very truths that Paul spent the first three chapters of his letter teaching us, that God is gracious and loving, that he's working out his sovereign plan through all creation, that this plan is founded on Christ since before the foundation of the world, that it centers on the work on the cross, Jesus' death for our sins, that he rose again. That as we believe in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit seals us. Friends, this is the starting point for all the armor that is commended to us in this passage. We must delight in biblical truth. And we ourselves must also be characterized by truthfulness. Jesus told his disciples, I am the truth. And so if we are to be disciples of Jesus, we too must be committed to the truth at all times. Now we're faced with constant temptations to bend the truth. Children, it's tempting to only tell half the story to get out of trouble, but Christians must tighten our truth belts. Students, it's tempting to cheat a little to bring your grade up, but we must be committed to the truth for Christ himself is the truth. Workers, there's all kinds of temptations to take longer breaks than you're supposed to, to mark up products, To not be totally transparent with our bosses, to doctor our numbers a bit. And yet we must fasten our truth belts. And when we live standing firm on God's truth and with ourselves committed to the truth, like Martin Luther, we can say, Here I stand. We can stand firm in the face of a spiritual enemy. Second, put on your righteous armor. Put on your righteous armor. A Roman soldier's breastplate was a piece of armor that covered his chest and back, protecting his vital organs from enemy swords, spears, and arrows. Maybe you remember Russell Crowe in Gladiator wearing a breastplate when he goes into the arena. What then is the Christian's breastplate? What is our bulletproof vest? What protects us? In Isaiah 59, God himself put on a breastplate of righteousness. And so the Christian's breastplate seems to be God's own righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ. In Zechariah, Zechariah rather, chapter 3, we see a picture of what this looks like. Zechariah has a vision of Joshua the high priest standing clothed in filthy garments before the angel of the Lord and Satan. And Satan is accusing him. But the Lord rebukes Satan and says, remove the filthy garments from Joshua and then says to Joshua, the high priest, behold, I have taken your sin away from you and I will clothe you with pure robes. And this is what happens to us through Christ's work. Our filthy garments are taken off. Our sin is taken away and Christ's righteousness like a pure robe is put onto us. And Paul develops this picture even further. This right relationship that we have with God by being clothed in pure robes, the right relationship with God through the work of Jesus is our great spiritual protection. Satan accuses us. But our hope is not in our own righteousness. We know better than anyone how filthy our own garments are. Rather, our hope is in Christ's righteousness given to us. Put on your righteous armor. And then, once we've been given this right standing with God through the work of Jesus, we have to be committed to right living with God through the work of Jesus. You could dress up a scarecrow in the finest imaginable suit of armor, the best armor imaginable, and that scarecrow could not turn away a single enemy. For a suit of armor to be effective, it needs a soldier committed to fighting. Likewise, when we put on this righteous armor that God gives to us, we then must be committed to ourselves. We must commit ourselves to righteous living, the kind of living suitable for the armor we have. In Ephesians 4, Paul has already instructed us, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, that is, tighten your truth belt, and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right standing with God through Jesus is like body armor, but you put on body armor to get ready for a fight. We're not scarecrows. We're called to stand firm, strong in the Lord, and so we must be committed to righteous living. Third, lace up your gospel boots. Lace up your gospel boots. Here, Paul's language seems to be suggesting these sorts of half boots that the Roman soldiers would put on with leather straps around their ankles that they could wear to march out to battle. But his language also echoes Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is what Paul seems to be talking about here. He says, uh, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Isaiah's picture is of watchmen along the wall of Jerusalem looking out. And they see in the distance a messenger coming from battle, running swiftly along the ridgeline path over the mountains. And as soon as the messenger is within earshot, he starts shouting joyfully, good news. Peace, salvation, our God reigns. God has won the victory. And Isaiah continues in Isaiah 52, the watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And this is the image that Paul is applying to us as Christians here. We're like messengers who should be ready to bring the good news, who should sprint along ridgeline paths, shouting the good news that there is peace, that God has won a great victory and now reigns. Through the good news of peace, that we have peace with God, peace with others, life-changing peace, we are made ready to stand firm against the attacks of our enemies. And like the messenger in Isaiah, we should be ready to tell others this life-changing good news. If we're saturated in the biblical truth, if we're protected by God's own righteousness that we put on like a breastplate, then we should also be ready to make the most of every opportunity to tell others the good news of peace. And so, when things are going sideways at work, or you have lots of assignments stacking up in front of you, and other people are feeling a bit overwhelmed, and they look at you and they say, How are you at peace when all this is happening? How do you respond? How do you respond? Are you ready to tell them the reason that you have inner peace? Are you ready to answer? Fourth, take up your faith shield. Take up your faith shield. The word Paul uses here is not the little bucklers that sometimes you've seen in gladiator movies, these little shields that they do the sword fighting with, but it's these big four foot by two foot shields that would protect a Roman soldier's whole body. These shields were made of layers of wood and leather and could withstand flaming arrows that enemies shot to try and frighten soldiers. So what's our shield then that Paul tells us to pick up? What's it made out of? He says it's the shield of faith. The shield of faith. That is to say, our defense in all circumstances, he says, in, in, uh, uh, in all circumstances, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. Our defense in every circumstance, every situation, is to trust in God. To have faith in God, to trust in Him. This picks up a common refrain from the Old Testament. We actually already heard it in the call to worship that we read this morning, Psalm 33. In Genesis 15, 1, God reassures Abraham. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. And it's not just a promise for Abraham. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, God is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Psalm 91, 4 says, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, both types of shields. And Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts. Our shield that we take up is our faith, our trust in the Lord, that he is our defense. Well, what are the evil ones flaming darts? Last week, I commented or noted that throughout scripture, uh, lying and accusing seem to be our spiritual enemy's main weapons. And we see that accusing even in Zechariah 3 that I read just a moment ago. These are the flaming darts we must defend against, accusations and lies. Taking up the shield of faith then means, as Martin Luther puts it, preaching the gospel to ourselves. The hymn before the throne of God above shows us how this works. Do you remember the verse? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. It's reminding yourself. Yes, Satan points out your faults, but it's reminding yourself that you trust in Christ and his work you might put it this way, when Satan tempts us to doubt God's goodness, we look around and see how marvelously he has made all things, how extravagantly he sustains our world, how patiently he bears with us, how lavishly he provides for us, how tenderly he calls us, and how lovingly he gave even his own son for us. Who can doubt God's goodness when we remind ourselves of these great truths? When Satan tempts us to live and act Contrary to God's command, we take up our faith shield by reminding ourselves like Jesus did when he was tempted. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In every situation, we take up our faith shield by clinging to God in faith, by trusting in him, by preaching to ourselves God's promises. Fifth. Put on your salvation helmet. Put on your salvation helmet. The last piece of defensive armor that Paul mentions in this passage is the helmet that Roman soldiers wore both to protect their heads and as a signal or or a way to identify themselves as soldiers and what battalion they're in. And as we heard in Isaiah 59, when there's no justice and God comes to deliver his people, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. When God dons his helmet of salvation, it means he's coming to enact the salvation of his people. He comes to save us, to rescue us. And so having been saved, we then mark ourselves by our helmet of salvation. Putting on this helmet of salvation doesn't mean we somehow work our own salvation. Rather, as Charles Hodge puts it, this helmet, is uh, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. As we, as, as we approached finals week when I was in graduate school, you know, you have all the tests coming up, all the papers do all the studying. One of my professors would encourage us, don't worry, Jesus has already taken care of the big things these exams, these papers, these are just small things. And that's the great strength of putting on your salvation helmet. It puts everything in perspective. We face genuine challenges in society, at work, at home, perhaps in our marriage or our parenting, at school. And they're real challenges. And they can be exploited by our spiritual enemy. But part of our enemy's trick is to skew these challenges out of proportion, to blow them up and make them seem bigger than they are. This is why Paul spends so much time in Ephesians reminding us of our true identity in Christ. If we get confused on our identity, we think our sense of worth and significance is closely connected to our jobs or our grades or perhaps our children's grades, or that we're on the right side of very social issues. The challenges and conflicts in these areas get blown out of proportion. And we become angry or even despondent when things don't work out the way we should. But when we put on our salvation helmet, we're saying, Jesus has already won the victory. Uh, You know, we talked about in, in Sunday school this morning, kids, our eternal home is secure. We know where we're going to be, united to Jesus in faith. This victory has already been won. I have already been saved. I'm secure in his salvation. And then we can face these little challenges knowing that the big things are dealt with. Do you see now what a marvelous picture of the gospel Paul paints for us with this armor imagery? Tighten your truth belt. Put on your righteous armor. Lace up your gospel boots. Take up your faith shield. Put on your salvation helmet. They're all images in different ways that, that the armor that God and his Messiah, Jesus Christ, where in the Old Testament are being given to God's people. Hope in the spiritual war we face, that we stand firm, strengthened by the Lord, dressed in the whole armor of God. Indeed, this is the gospel, that we have peace with God in of Jesus' work, that God's own truth and righteousness and peace is given to Jesus. Perhaps even this week you've been feeling attacked, feeling even overwhelmed, and you might be thinking the only way I could possibly carry on fighting is with divine strength and divine armor. Indeed, that's true. You may be thinking I can't keep going on in my own strength. It's true. You are not called to go on in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. But before you can wear God's armor, you must recognize God's son, Jesus Christ as our commander, as our savior, as our rescuer. You have to trust in him before all else. If you've not done that before, Today's a great day to do that. All this godly armor is on offer for you. Simply trust Jesus as your commander, as your leader. But this isn't a lesson that we ever move past. None of us here can move past this lesson. As we see with each of these pieces of armor, we must face each spiritual battle by continually coming back to God's truth, by continually coming back to his righteousness given to us, our peace with him through Christ. We must renew our faith daily, preaching the gospel to ourselves, daily taking up the helmet of salvation, daily studying the biblical truth that's like a belt for us. Only then are we protected and adorned by God's armor. Daily, we must come back to Christ Jesus and trust in him. Let us pray.